From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. As Denver works to help thousands of new immigrants who've arrived from the southern border, the city finds itself increasingly isolated from other communities in Colorado. I'm the daughter of an immigrant, so seeing this hatred and vitriol and misinformation about what's happening when our city's only trying to find solutions, it's really discouraging. How nonprofits are trying to answer the call. And we ask what, if any, role the state ought to play. The governor appears to have taken this, the stance that this is a Denver problem. And it isn't a Denver problem because we know that we are receiving migrants all over the state. The federal government should step in. I mean, states can't solve immigration. We do the best with what we have. I wish we had the ability to grant work permits. We don't. We don't control the border. My name is Jennifer Greenfield, and I'm a member of Colorado Public Radio. One of the reasons I love listening to Colorado Matters is that I often listen in on conversations with people I'd love to talk to. And often the question that I'm dying to ask gets asked. um, And so I get the answer that I need. I really look forward to those conversations. Become a member today. It's easy to pledge online at (laughs) CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Denver finds itself increasingly isolated from other cities across the state as it works to help thousands of new immigrants who've arrived from the southern border. We'll examine the complexities today with Purplish, CPR's podcast about politics and policy. Here are Rachel Estabrook and Andrew Kenny. A couple months ago, at a Quaker church called Denver Friends it's in northwest Denver, the congregation got together to wrestle with a big question about what's been happening in their city, where hundreds of people, new immigrants, have been arriving every week. They met for hours about this. They invited dozens of people from the surrounding neighborhood to join them, too. And that big question... What Pastor Keith Reeser wanted to know was, would the church open its doors so families didn't have to sleep in the streets? Would you stand with me in this moment? And the whole room stood. And so it was a really breathtaking moment. But as breathtaking as that moment was, Pastor Reeser found himself realizing that he didn't know how to start an emergency shelter. It was a beautiful moment, but it's it's also a a moment of the reality sets in of, we're going to do this. To be blunt, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. But within just a couple days, he had met with city officials. They had actually arranged this huge meeting with dozens of people. They jumped at the chance to help him. They'd done a safety inspection. The church got some carbon monoxide detectors. And once it all looked okay, the city actually delivered the mattresses. And this little church of just a few dozen members started raising money to open this emergency shelter. The pastor thinks it's a powerful example of how the local government and the community in Denver have kind of teamed up. This is a move of God. It was so amazing to see so much kindness, so much strong effort to help this little guy out with an amazing project. For the last month, this place has become a place for 29 people to sleep each night. Men, women, and children. But this is just one small part of how Colorado is responding to the arrival of so many new people. That response looks really different from community to community and from city to city. 
It's raising giant questions for people and policymakers across the state about what they're going to do about immigration. Andy, we've both been interviewing a lot of people about what's happened with newly arrived immigrants in Colorado over the last year. Nearly 40,000 people have come, sometimes in buses paid for by the state of Texas. Some choose Colorado on their own. In this episode, we'll talk about what you and I have learned, Rachel, about how the state as a whole, its people, its local and state-level governments, have responded, or oftentimes not. And the cracks that are starting to develop as this situation goes on and the demands get bigger. So before we get deeper into how Colorado's dealing with this moment, let's step back a bit to talk about the scope of what's happening, because it's kind of amazing. Denver has, what, a population of about 700,000, a little bit more. So what does that nearly 40,000 people that we talked about, what does that look like? What does that mean? First off, that's a number we got from Denver's government, which tracks how many people it's helped in shelters. It's not the total number of new immigrants that have come. Hmm. Some people have bypassed Denver and gone straight to other places, like Aurora. And undoubtedly, of those tens of thousands of people who have come, thousands have already left to go to other places in the U.S., like where they have connections to friends and family. No one keeps track exactly of where people go when they leave Denver's shelters. So you can say 40,000, but we don't know really how many people have stayed. Yeah, what I've noticed is that that 40,000 number is one of the only reliable statistics we have. I wasn't able to find any other really solid information about how many people have ended up in other cities. It's hard to get your arms around, but it is a lot of people. What do we know about where people have been coming from who are arriving here in Colorado? Most commonly, you hear people have come from Venezuela, a country that's been in severe economic and political crisis for years. Our colleagues at Denverite have been meeting them coming off buses for more than a year. This past September and October, I met a few families who were looking to establish themselves in Aurora. Joselianes Montoya came with her spouse and eight-year-old child. She said, everyone knows the situation in our country. They came looking for opportunities. Talking with folks who are arriving, you come to understand why Denver feels strained and why we see people around the metro area ask for assistance. Most people arriving can't get authorization to work legally, at least not immediately, so they've had to be scrappy. They go to day labor centers, they sell baked goods, they wash windshields. They're doing what they can to survive while they try to get established. So what else did you learn? Well, I met these two brothers from Venezuela as well, Luis and Douglas Cominares Guevara. They said they hoped to bring their families from Venezuela and they were able to earn some money. They, like so many others, came without prior authorization but intended to apply for asylum. They got a court date when they entered and they hoped to make their case to stay legally. Nosotros entramos con cita y bueno. Gracias a Dios estamos legales en este país. 
hasta el 6 de hasta el 6 de, de diciembre de 2024 hasta que nos podamos a un juicio. I've heard this again and again like from a woman I met selling savory pastries at a market or a legal clinic looking for advice. There is some misinformation out there about how easy it'll be to get asylum. Hmm. So they come and some will get the help they need to file an asylum application and some won't, I imagine. That's one of the tough things about covering this is there's this huge range of situations, especially legal situations that people are in. It's not like everybody just crossed the border without authorization and they're an undocumented immigrant now. They're on a lot of different legal journeys in a way. Even among those who did come without authorization, there's a huge spectrum. You know, hmm. the federal government extended temporary protected status to some Venezuelans as long as they arrived by a certain date. Yeah. And they're in a different kind of situation than people whose only option is an asylum application. So depending on even when you got here, it could be a different situation. I imagine it wasn't just Venezuela that you've met people coming from? No, I've talked to people who came from Mexico and from Mauritania. Hmm. Isabel Caceres told me she came from Peru. She said her family faced the threat of persecution there. And she talked strongly about wanting to establish herself as a businesswoman. Básicamente, yo quiero realizarme como mujer, madre, emprendedora. Entonces, haciendo esto es reactivándome yo como mujer. I met her while she was selling cupcakes and she had done something similar at home. So she was talking about reestablishing herself as a woman, as a wife, as a business person to support her family. And people are coming from Afghanistan and Ukraine as well. And whether they're coming from a war zone or walking through the jungle of Central America and South America to get here, <laughs> the journeys are arduous. They can be expensive. It's not a decision or a journey that a lot of people say that they take lightly. It's a burden on their families and on themselves to make this journey, but they feel that it's worth it, right, because of what's going on in their home countries. So for a lot of these immigrants, that journey takes them to the southern border of the U.S., where they cross in. But then the question is why and how they're getting to Denver and Colorado. And a lot of the story that we've heard is that, well, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is putting them on buses and sending them here. But I want to know, is that really what's happening? How much of it is Greg Abbott's buses? How much of it is people just ending up in Colorado naturally? Texas has taken credit for sending more than 15,000 people wow. to Denver as part of this campaign to send people to cities that they classify as sanctuaries, right? Basically saying, hey, you want to help? Here, help. Yeah, to try to pit Democrats against Democrats. In talking to people, I have heard stories of other folks who say they chose Colorado because they heard about it maybe on their journey even or before they left home. They thought it might be a place where they could make their new lives. Okay, great. So as usual, there's no like single clean answer about why this huge movement of people is happening. But regardless, it's happening. People are arriving mostly in Denver. And in some ways, Denver's kind of responded to the challenge laid out by Governor Greg Abbott by saying... Yes, as a community, Denver is going to help. You see it in places like the church opening up their doors, these huge networks of people on Facebook, mutual aid. And then also the city has just spent tens of millions of dollars to open up these big shelters and keep thousands of people housed each night. 
But here's the thing. That's been going on for a number of months now. The city's operation has really grown. And now the costs are starting to really pile up. Yeah, in a little over a year. And so we've started to see consequences on city services and other things that Mm -hmm. tax money pays for. The city has gotten some state and federal tax money, but Mayor Mike Johnston will tell anyone who listens right now Uh that Denver is busting its budget. Denver, Colorado Mayor Mike Johnson. Mike, uh, good to see you, and, and thanks a lot for being on with us again. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being with us. And my first question is, what... The challenge is now, you know, we have 4,500 migrants in shelter tonight in Denver. We are the single largest recipient of migrants per capita of any city in America. It is definitely both a humanitarian crisis for the migrants that are arriving, and it is creating a fiscal crisis for the city. As- Recently, he got up and announced that the city will cut $5 million from DMV and Parks and Rec to pay for the demands of sheltering thousands of people every night. But really, we also need a coordinated entry plan. So we have a a plan to deploy people to cities across the country based on their capacity, not just have all of them land in two or three cities, which are taking uh, the greatest brunt of that arrival. And I think it's really not sustainable for us long term. So now you've gotten to this point in the situation where the city has collectively spun up this kind of impressive, ambitious response. But again, it's starting to have real costs. It's starting to affect people in really tangible ways. And that's changing how both officials in the city and in lots of other cities are talking about this situation. As people around the metro area have watched this unfold in Denver... It has started to cause an intense counterreaction. You're starting to hear loud rejections of the idea of helping new immigrants and this real fear that other cities and counties will follow Denver down the same path. What you see tonight is informed voters who've watched Denver's decline and don't want the same here. This month, the city council meeting in Lakewood was packed. This is just west of Denver. Dozens of people gathered there hours before the meeting started. Then it grew to more than 100. They were there because of rumors, essentially, Uh that Lakewood would help Denver with its response. This is just one of several residents. Her name's Dawn Austin, who lined up to give public comment. Any city resources, time or money, focused on non-citizens, necessarily steals from our infrastructure, schools, security, and human services. And we are already doing our part as federal taxpayers. So, Rachel, you attended this in person for your reporting, taking time out of your Monday night, but you could have also seen it on all the local news. It was on national news. It was on Fox News. What exactly had brought all these people out? What was this all about? In January, Lakewood and Denver officials did meet to talk about how Lakewood might support Denver's efforts and be what Lakewood called a, quote, good neighbor. Okay, they had a meeting. Yeah, they had a meeting. The suggestion of being a, quote, good neighbor really sparked people's imaginations about what that could mean. So several people came out to this meeting weeks later convinced that Lakewood had already decided to use city resources to house new immigrants. They thought a new homeless services center that recently opened that had been in the making for a long time was really just to serve people newly arriving. Uh Uh-huh. 
And it, like, it caught fire. This got out to hundreds of people on social media, etc. And they clearly turned out to this meeting in large numbers. What did the city say? Yeah, so city councilors and staff tried to assure people that none of that is in the works. Oh. But again and again, people came to the podium either not hearing or not believing what they heard from the city officials. The city of Lakewood wants to enable the illegals by providing them shelter and food. They want to accept the responsibility for taking care of these migrants, including housing, food, medical, education. What about our people that have been on the streets for years? Shouldn't they come first? I heard this a lot, and you heard the way she described people as illegals. And then the feeling that Lakewood was going to spend city resources. Again, that's not happening at this point, and there are no firm plans to do it, the city says. But the city has really been put on the defensive by these residents. What do you think catalyzed people so much to respond like this? Like, are they actually being affected in their day-to-day lives? Where is this coming from? A few people expressed to me fears that schools that were closed recently um, because they consolidated the school district. Yeah, there's one near my house. Mm-hmm, that they would be used to house newcomers. Again, there's no plan to do this. Also, some residents said they're bothered when they're at an intersection in their car or do they go to the grocery store and they get approached by people who've recently arrived. That woman you just heard, her name was Michelle White. She kept going and I gotta say, it was surprising how dramatic she made it sound. I can't shop at King Supers. I can't shop at Sprouts because they bombard my vehicle. I am scared for my life. I have to carry pepper spray. The universal language is my pepper spray. Oh, they understand that and they can jump back. The universal language is her pepper spray. Wow. Yeah. She brings her pepper spray to the grocery store. Frankly, this idea is disturbing, but it captures the level of alarm that people who came out to this meeting were feeling. In addition to asking not to spend money, they were asking Lakewood to do more to actively deter people from coming to Lakewood. They wanted more coordination with federal immigration authorities to ramp up policing to detain more people. So this is happening in a city that's gone fairly democratic recently that is nominally like somewhat liberal. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, did anybody take a liberal stance on immigration? Did anybody ask the city government to be more welcoming or was it truly all anti-immigration? There were equally passionate people who came out as a counter-protest, but there were fewer of them. I'm the daughter of an immigrant, so seeing this hatred and vitriol and misinformation about what's happening when our city's only trying to find solutions, it's really discouraging. So I wanted to come out here and show support for our new neighbors. Sandy Weathers was wearing a monarch butterfly cape outside the building. It's a symbol of migration. And a few people made their voices heard inside the chambers, too. Good evening. I'm Mike Glad. I live in Ward 2. He spoke directly to city officials and staff. Ignore those who would have us become a community that turns away the tired, the poor, and those fleeing hardship and persecution. I ask you to continue the work that you have started to become better than that, a place of light and truth. What exactly is the work they have started? What is Lakewood doing here? 
So where Lakewood is settled for now is they're encouraging their residents who want to volunteer their time or donate money or goods to do so. And they've agreed to help spread the word about Denver's housing and transportation resources. That is the extent of Lakewood's commitment. And that's one of Denver's largest neighbors, the city next door, that really isn't going to do much as a government. But it's not just Lakewood. The same kind of like resident pressure, the backlash, is leading a lot of Colorado's other big cities to also declare they're not going to help in any official capacity. El Paso County commissioners voted to make sure that everybody knew they're not a place of sanctuary for new immigrants, they're not a sanctuary county. Grand Junction very quickly tamped down rumors that they were going to accept new immigrants. In Aurora, too, just east of Denver, they're considering a resolution to declare that they are not going to be any type of sanctuary, that they're not going to set up resources. That's interesting for a city that has historically had a lot of immigrants. Mm-hmm. And has been a place where people for years have tried to start their lives in America coming from other countries. But what I've really seen there is a network of nonprofits has stepped in where the city and counties that touch Aurora don't want to. The nonprofits have said, we're going to help out because, first of all, they feel it's the right thing to do, but also they feel it could be a public safety issue if these folks that have showed up are ignored. Is that how it's going outside of Denver? It's all following on nonprofits, charities, volunteers, churches? As far as I can tell, with the exception of a few places, Fort Collins, for example, has city money going to a legal fund that helps new immigrants pursue pathways to citizenship or legal residency. And then Carbondale, near Aspen, partners with nonprofits in its area. Yeah, to your point, they have set up an emergency shelter, and that's a really one of the only examples of government action beyond Denver. You're hearing Purplish, CPR's podcast about politics and policy. This episode on new immigrants features Andrew Kenny and Rachel Estabrook. After a break, what can or should the state do? This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Jessica Duran. As a news intern for KRCC, I was able to report on stories and help inform Southern Colorado. CPR and KRCC offer opportunities like these and more to current students and recent graduates to set up the next generation for success. You can learn more about internships and fellowships at CPR.org jobs. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. As Denver struggles with how to provide resources for new immigrants arriving from the southern U.S. border, what can and should the state do? We return now to Purplish, CPR's politics and policy podcast. Here again, Rachel Estabrook and Andrew Kenny. So you've got one city doing a lot, a lot of cities doing not much. Or actively trying to keep people out. Right, or actively trying to keep people out. And that's leading some of these city officials in Denver to say, well, why is the state letting this one city take on so much of the job? Why is the governor letting so much of this fall to Denver? Here is how Councilwoman Amanda Sawyer put it. The governor appears to have taken this these stance that this is a Denver problem. And it isn't a Denver problem because we know um, that we are receiving migrants all over the state. And I was really surprised she was not the only one. This direct criticism of the Democratic governor 
from Democratic officials was common. Here's Councilwoman Jamie Torres. This is a governor who I think has historically been very, not just friendly, but welcoming to immigrants. I, I guess I expected more. And State Senator Julie Gonzalez. It's really surprising that he hasn't been as strong an ally as he has been in the past. Wow. Polis doesn't have any real power to keep people from coming to Colorado. So what do they think he should be doing that he isn't? Yeah, that's true. And Polis's general message has been, I don't have a lot of power to keep people from coming to Colorado. The federal government needs to help here. But the critique that I've heard from these folks is that Polis should do more to lead a statewide response, to like stand up on his bully pulpit. I don't know if you can stand on a bully pulpit or what exactly it is. They want him to stand up and declare that we're going to do something as a state. Just act like you would with like a wildfire or pandemic or some other crisis. Councilwoman Amanda Sandoval said she definitely noticed that the governor didn't even mention the topic of immigration in his big state of the state speech last month. It was a total missing piece when we're we're the capital of Colorado and when your capital city is experiencing a $180 million deficit because of a crisis from the new immigrants, um, I would hope that that would be addressed to the people in the state of Colorado. It sounds like, Andy, what you're hearing is something that we've noticed as well as journalists is that Governor Polis does not talk about the new immigrants in Colorado a lot. He Hmm. doesn't show leadership in that way, although I think he would say he does show leadership by taking opportunities to point out the fact that federal immigration laws are broken and that he'd like to see more federal accountability and changes at that level. That's exactly right. These local people are saying, Governor, show leadership on this. And he's saying, I am showing leadership. I need the Congress to show leadership. The federal government should step in. I mean, states can't solve immigration. We Mm -hmm. do the best with what we have. Uh, I wish we had the ability to grant work permits. We don't. We don't control the border. Now, the thing about asking Congress to solve this is that Congress has repeatedly not solved this. And so the local officials are saying, this is the situation now. We need help dealing with things as they are. And so what is the state providing? In fairness, they are providing some of what people are asking for, which is coordination and money. The state has come up with tens of millions of dollars from state and federal sources. That's mostly gone to the city. Doesn't totally cover the tab or maybe even close to cover the tab of what the city's spent on shelters and stuff, but it helps. And, you know, they are also in the background. The state is helping to coordinate some of these efforts between the nonprofits and the cities in different states. They're just not making a big public deal out of it. With stuff like legal services and work permits, they're trying to do things behind the scenes. That's right. There are some concrete things that advocates definitely want him to do. Immigration reformers want the state to pass legislation to help people get jobs, help them get driver's licenses. They just want to see a little bit more energy and action around figuring out what the state can do. Those ideas have not been popular with some conservatives. Well, that's the other thing, is that Polis is also facing pressure from his right, where conservatives don't want the state to get more accommodating, which is what some of these progressive reformers want. They want Polis to totally change the message and say, no, Colorado is not going to welcome people. The same pressures we heard in those cities. That's exactly right. 
conservatives, especially in these other cities, say Denver doesn't need help. Denver's help is making this worse. Denver being so accommodating is a big reason for this. The whole state needs to stop and not follow Denver's lead. Denver and all these other metro communities and the state are in this position where they're debating how much and whether to help Mm -hmm. and disagreeing because there is this much larger problem of the federal immigration system that isn't getting addressed. Right. There is no national agreement on what to do with immigration And yet immigrants still arrive. And so it's being dealt with on a community by community basis. It's not being decided by Congress. The state is kind of hands off on what we as a state should do about it. And so it's falling to cities and neighborhoods. Purplish, CPR's podcast about politics and policy with Andrew Kenny and Rachel Esterbrook this time. Find this and other episodes at CPR.org and everywhere you get podcasts. I'm Ryan Warner at listener-supported CPR News and KRCC. 